0: Welcome, everyone, to the Lighthouse, a podcast series dedicated to providing advanced financial planning and wellness insights to the clients and families we serve. My name is Jack Butler, and my business partner, John Stanford, and I are financial advisors with the Hatteras Wealth Management Group at UBS, located at 6100 Fairview Road in Charlotte, North Carolina. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Dan Scanseroli, Managing Director and Head America's Portfolio Strategy for the UBS Chief Investment Office. Dan assists UBS financial advisors and clients with asset allocation, goals-based investing and portfolio risk management. I wanted to have Dan on the show today because he leads the firm's intellectual capital offering for Wealthway. It's a framework we use for managing clients' wealth. And as always, we welcome your questions and feedback and we hope you enjoy the show. But before we begin, here's a quick disclosure. The UBS Wealthway is an approach incorporating liquidity, longevity, legacy strategies that UBS Financial Services, Inc. and our financial advisors can use to assist clients in exploring and pursuing their wealth management needs and goals over different timeframes. This approach is not a promise or guarantee that wealth or any financial result can or will be achieved. All investments involve the risk of loss, including the risk of loss of the entire investment. Timeframes may vary. Strategies are subject to individual client goals, objectives, and suitability. Well, Dan, I just wanted to first start off by saying that we're thrilled to have you on the show and greatly appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today on the Lighthouse Podcast.
1: Thanks, Jack, for having me. I'm really excited to be uh, on the phone with one of UBS's top advisors.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that and uh, certainly looking forward to hearing your comments here in just a second. But to start us off, Dan, would you mind sharing with us a brief background of your career And how it led to your role here at UBS?
1: Yeah, of course. So my current role is the the head of portfolio strategy in the chief investment office here at UBS, where my team and I work to construct client portfolios that align to personal goals and market opportunities. Um, My career in investment strategy began at Lehigh University, where I received a doctorate doing research on portfolio optimization and asset pricing modeling. This led to various roles that focused on creating tailored portfolio solutions uh, to meet specific spending, return, and risk management objectives for both institutional and private wealth clients. On the institutional side, I actually worked as a portfolio manager in the endowment space. I was the head of portfolio construction at a multi-strategy hedge fund, while on the wealth management side. I was head of quantitative strategy on JP Morgan's CIO team, where I led a team focused on investment strategy and aligning asset allocation to goals-based wealth solutions for the firm's largest private clients.
0: Yes, so clearly an extensive background. And over the years, you've clearly been uh, exposed to several different approaches as to how high net worth clients can manage their wealth. Whether it's having all their assets managed in one portfolio or not having a goals-based approach what are some of the issues that you've noticed when it comes to how clients manage their wealth and how can we avoid some of those pitfalls?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the standard at many wealth managers is to focus on one side of an investor's balance sheet, particularly their assets. Uh, most for- firms, they don't think holistically about how assets liabilities, and goals all interact with one another. And in most cases, the focus is on creating and managing an asset allocation relative to a benchmark, which really has little connectivity to your personal goals and gives you little context around if you're on track for things like retirement. Um, We have been seeing that larger firms have been heading in the right direction, but still tend to lack a holistic wealth strategy approach. And what I mean by that is they have one team focused on investments, another focused on lending, and maybe a third focused on planning without anyone evaluating how all the pieces actually fit together in a holistic framework and whether it's the optimal approach to meet you know all of your goals in tandem. Here at UBS, the CIO team is not just an asset allocation team, but it's the core driver of a holistic approach that brings the full value chain together in, in a framework that shifts the conversation from beating a benchmark uh, to one that's focused on strategies that keep you on track to maintain your lifestyle, achieve your lifetime goals, and giving to others. You know, In, in regards to your question around having asset managed in one portfolio, as we've seen more focus on goals-based planning approaches in the industry... We've seen a tendency for firms to take a purely academic approach to evaluating people's balance sheets. And what I mean by that is they lump all of the assets together into a single portfolio without thinking about the behavioral aspects of investing. Investing can be a very emotional exercise. It's personal. And so this approach of having all your assets in one portfolio, it ignores the fundamental need for investors to understand the purpose of different aspects of their asset allocation relative to their goals and how that can influence their behavior. As an example, even though we know money is fungible, um, I'm willing to bet that you segregate different bank accounts by their purpose, Jack. Most people have an account for their day-to-day expenses, another for their longer-term savings, or a rainy day fund, and another account for a college fund. Uh, By bucketing wealth, it gives us more confidence to evaluate if we're on track to meet specific goals and understand the risks associated with the time horizon of those goals. And in that same spirit, investors who holistically evaluate their entire wealth strategy by segmenting their wealth by purpose, are also more likely to understand implications of market stress on their personal situation and therefore potentially make better decision around fundamental questions like, am I spending too much? Can I buy a new boat three years from now? How much can I leave to future generations? How much cash do I need on hand so that I don't need to worry uh, that I won't be able to make my bills if the market suffers a large decline?
0: Yeah, those are all great points. And, and what I've noticed too is that when clients have all their assets in one portfolio, especially clients that are higher net worth, that are, are likely never going to ever be in a situation where they're going to run out of money. There, there's a high likelihood they're going to be able to pass on assets to another generation or a cause that they care about. But what you notice when everything is lumped together, you brought up the behavioral uh, component of that. Uh, say, for example, someone retires or sells a business and everything goes into one portfolio, and then all of a sudden we experience a downturn or a a 2020 or a 0809. And that heartburn along the way, as they start taking distributions can be really difficult to overcome. So just in talking about the, uh, the behavioral aspect of it, I think that brings us to really that Wealthway framework and what you guys do for clients here at UBS. Can you just give us an overview of what Wealthway is, why it's important and how it can help with uh, some of the behavioral aspects that clients go through, and uh, just share some of a uh, some of your high-level findings when it comes to that. Absolutely.
1: So, as a general overview, the Wealthway philosophy is designed to construct portfolios relative to your liabilities and your objectives. And by aligning assets with concrete goals, investors are are better likely to understand their personal situation and understand how to make better decisions for their wealth. This is accomplished by separating your net worth into three distinct strategies, which we call the three L's, liquidity, longevity, and legacy. The liquidity strategy is designed to fund expenditures and meet spending and liabilities for the next two to five years. And the assets typically include cash and cash alternatives and may also include your ability to borrow. The longevity strategy is designed to help investors meet their financial goals for the remainder of their lifetime. And it's typically characterized by a diversified asset allocation whose exact composition will depend on the investor's situation, their goals, their financial personality, and even their values. Um, Between the longevity and the liquidity strategy, we use an institutional approach of liability matching, similar to a pension fund to determine the best strategy relative to the investor's cash flow needs. Lastly, the legacy strategy is for assets in excess of what investors need to meet their lifetime objectives. Its investment portfolio can be more aggressive, it can be less liquid, which allows for in the enhancement of growth potential, and ultimately means the potential to give more meaningful gifts through philanthropy or to future generations uh, for the legacy portfolio we tend to use an endowment style model when determining asset allocations and all together the liquidity the longevity and the legacy strategies you know they're going to adjust over time to your changing needs and objectives to help you evaluate and improve the potential for achieving your goals across your lifetime the power of the ubs wealthway approach is that it shifts the conversation away from the day-to-day portfolio performance and all those behavioral biases that we have when we're observing market volatility to the longer-term wealth generation conversation that aligns with your assets, your liabilities, and your goals. And it's really tailored to the investment horizon for each one of those
0: goals. Absolutely. And you brought up the fact that you know most people in practice already have different either buckets or strategies, depending on you know what they're using their money for and the same thing should go for your wealth as well so in talking about just the wealth way in practice how can this help clients with the behavioral finance aspect of it i know that in our uh, most recent uh, podcast episode i had justin warring on and he talked about just the the tendency to be swayed by greed and fear is an ever-present phenomenon in an investors uh, life cycle we're going to have multiple bear markets going forward we don't know really how or uh, when they're going to happen. We just know it's just a kind of a matter of uh, what happens when you're along for the ride for the long term. So, how can this framework help clients uh, manage their emotions throughout those uh, uh, booms and busts and those different cycles that we go through?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, one one of our challenges is is unfortunately we are very. Poor at judging risks, right? We tend to, you know, during bear markets, we tend to assign, you know, much higher probability to bad outcomes. And we end, it tends to make us react adversely. You know, investors diving deeper into what Justin mentioned last week, investors tend to experience much more pain when they lose money than the pleasure that they feel when they actually gain money. And that's extremely important because this comes with a behavioral bias to become much more risk averse after or during a market decline. And on the other side, it also means that people engage in performance chasing after large rallies. Both of these activities are, can be detrimental to your wealth and your ability to stay on a path to achieve your goals. It really can deteriorate your wealth. And you know what I would give as an example is that during the COVID crisis last year, it really demonstrated how the 3L framework can help investors ride out the historic volatility that we saw. You know, we saw a record paced decline and rally in the market where the market actually declined 34% in global equities in last March. And we observed actually that Wealthway followers were able to keep a well diversified longevity strategy because their liquidity strategy gave them the confidence they had set aside enough resources to cover their cash flow needs for the next few years. So they didn't need to liquidate out of their their asset allocation. The liquidity strategy allowed investors to see the losses in their longevity and legacy strategies for what they were, uh temporary relative to their long-term goals. And this ultimately meant that Wealthway investors were able to stay invested during times of volatility and participate in a record-setting rally uh, where equities rebounded about 71% from their March lows last year to finish actually an incredibly volatile year with a 16% total return. Um, In short, the UBS Wealthway reframes short-term volatility so that investors can focus on making decisions for the long-term to achieve their goals.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine that would have some impact on performance as well over the long run, because now I've seen before where clients who are on the higher network spectrum, they have all their assets in one portfolio. Sometimes they can tend to be underinvested or too conservative with their approach, because at that phase of their life, they're trying to preserve the wealth that they've accumulated rather than trying to hit the next home run or make their next fortune. So talk about the impact that Wealthway can have on performance and how it can benefit a client's experience in that regard? Yeah, well, to,
1: to start there, I'd like to back up to one of the previous questions that, that you asked around lumping um, all the assets together into one portfolio, because that is really the standard approach that most wealth managers have, even as they run goals-based analysis. But the historical standard in, in when it comes to wealth management is to hold a static portfolio, you know, basically a, across your lifetime, that has no distinction between assets that are intended to be used in the near term versus assets that are intended to be used 10 20 or even 30 years from now and as a result your decisions are misaligned with the objectives and the capacity for risk which in turn tends to result in investors being too aggressive relative to their short-term needs and their asset allocation and too conservative relative to their long-term needs. You know, we don't get that that happy medium in the middle or a goldilocks situation. We actually end up in a worse situation. So, the biggest advantage of a holistic wealth approach is actually being able to segment those assets by their purpose and therefore better balance growth with the proper risk to achieve each one of the goals that you actually have. And over the long term, this means the UBS Wealth Way approach can structure the 3 Ls, liquidity, longevity and legacy. And your overall asset allocation dynamically to enhance growth potential uh, relative to that static portfolio. You know, diving deeper into that, um, while the 3L strategy isn't a panacea for combating emotional biases, it does provide a concrete framework for decision making, which can improve performance. And you know, that gives you the ability, as we talked about before, to, to fall back and contextualize. During times of market stress, you know, as we discussed previously, the biggest advantage of the liquidity strategy is the mitigation of what we refer to as sequencing risk, which is spending out of your risk assets during a market decline because you have spending needs. Um, the liquidity portfolio, the reason it's holding three to four years worth of of cash equivalents, is because that is the typical bear market. Uh, timeframe for it to play out. And we want you to be able to stay invested without worrying whether or not you're going to be able to meet those spending needs. So by having cash reserves during the market decline, you know, the investors can be more confident that they will be able to meet their spending needs, avoid those sequencing risks, and put, more importantly, they also can put any excess cash to work at more attractive valuations. You know, most investors hate bear markets, as we all know, uh, but a bear market during someone's working career tends to be a fairly significant opportunity to invest at a lower price point, which can be highly accretive to your long-term wealth.
0: Yeah, those are all such great points. And on the on the topic of performance, uh, clients understandably uh, think and believe, and these areas are important, but uh, when it comes to either short-term projections or uh, interest rates, equity valuations, political landscape, that tends to kind of, in, in an investor's mind, really make up their thesis about what performance could be like going forward. uh, When in reality, the most important determining factor of performance probably above anything else is a client's behavior and their asset allocation and having the right frameworks to help weather those storms for when they happen, I think is of the utmost importance. Uh, And and also too, not just uh, managing emotions and having a framework around that, but also managing taxes as well. This is not necessarily as we all know as to what you Earn it's what you keep that that really matters. So how can the the Wealthway framework uh, really be used for for tax efficiency and and improve results in that regard as well?
1: There's an opportunity when you really start having a wealth plan to be much more tax efficient and as you said, maximize the after tax wealth that you you generate either for yourself or for. Uh, you know, future generations, and so understanding how much you can actually put in your legacy portfolio and still meet your lifetime goals, it comes with a huge ability to structure your after-tax wealth more efficiently. Whether that's through, you know, utilizing tax-advantaged accounts like IRAs and and uh, healthcare spending accounts, or by maintaining more control. Over the timing on when taxes are occurred. And that that's really critical because you don't want to be forced to sell on, let's say, short-term gains where you're going to be hit with much higher taxes when you you can earmark different pieces of your asset allocation for the longer term and pay either lower taxes or You know, receive um, what was referred to as a step-up in cost basis, right? When you when you um, gift assets for your legacy, so the high tax obligation on assets uh, that have high capital gains, they can under the current tax law receive a step-up in cost basis that effectively eliminates the taxes. That are owed when they transfer to someone else after you pass, and this maximizes the well the amount of wealth that you can pass to the next generation. And That's just one example of how you can be, you know, much more tax efficient by understanding and segmenting your wealth.
0: Definitely, and it's not necessarily um, tax efficiency that we so much focus on, but also just tax location. You know, knowing which strategies to own into which types of accounts, whether it's tax deferred or uh, taxable accounts. I think that's the most important. And also, just kind of lastly here, and talking about the benefits of Wealthway, Dan, just when it comes to either better defining goals and outcomes for clients, or in just the factor of simplicity as well. In your experience, how has Wealthway contributed to just making things more simple for clients and helping them better articulate what's important to them and and how they're able to accomplish it?
1: yeah you know the the whole theme here is that assets need to be you know aligned to goals and liabilities to make the best potential decision around your wealth, but you you can't do that unless you actually understand what your goals are. You know most wealth managers will focus on two main questions, which are important questions, which are what's your your risk tolerance and whether or not you want capital appreciation or capital preservation for your wealth. But in the holistic uh, goals based wealth strategy, we dive significantly deeper you know, forcing investors to be disciplined in understanding the purpose of their wealth and the feasibility and trade-offs of each one of those corresponding goals. And we try to do that in a simple but not overly simplistic manner. Too simple and you're not you're not going to really understand the purpose of your wealth yeah and overly complicated you can, you tend to have the same the same challenges it isn't easy to determine your goals <laughs> which is why actually we have experts like yourself jack who we work with and you know working with our clients as well to explore a discovery process where we ask questions to understand your personal balance sheet your core values their goals your priorities and what you want to achieve over your lifetime and beyond with that information we can create a a more simple plan which shows how to segment your assets according to those 3 Ls and how different scenarios affect your ability to meet those objectives with the most suitable investments borrowing strategies and and how they actually come to, together to align to your personal situation so you
0: know the goal is there to be simple but not overly simplistic Exactly. Because the simple thing is just to put everything into one portfolio. But as we discussed, that doesn't necessarily bring about the best results. And we just had a, a, a newer client recently come on board and they had mentioned that they were extremely conservative, you know, just given the events that have taken place in 2020. And, and just over the past 20 years, they just did not want to ride the ups and downs of the market anymore. But they were even with the conservative allocation, they were never going to outlive their means. And, and not even close to it. So in showing them this framework, we were able to show him that you know, you, you can uh, basically have cash or cash equivalents to get you through any storm for a two to three year period of time. The longevity piece can still be very conservative in the sense that you know this is the money that you're going to need for the remainder of your retirement. But then really everything else is simply just icing on the cake and, and likely money that you're never going to spend in your lifetime. So why don't we just think about this as money that we're not potentially going to end up donating or using for another 30 years. And I think once he was able to kind of grasp that concept, it was like a light bulb went off. And I think it was just kind of uh, freeing in the sense that he knew that he was taken care of and his family was taken care of, but uh, longer term, he could have a bigger impact uh, being able to invest those assets more prudently with a longer term time horizon. So I think all of those, all of those things kind of checks the boxes as to what you were, uh, what you had just talked about. But then really, you talk about our role as advisors, you know, and part of that is helping our clients uh, through our planning process, talk about their goals, articulate them, better focus on them. We always talk about how if clients can have more defined goals, even if they're moving targets, it's better than nothing. Um, So really, though, at a high level, how can we implement this framework with clients? And what type of strategies do you typically find in this uh, liquidity Longevity and legacy type strategies can you give us an overview of what that could look like
1: yeah of course and that, you know there are there are nuances here because you know I don't want to give the impression that a liquidity strategy is just sitting in cash right you know, we're not we, you know we're ultimately trying to grow wealth at the at the, the maximum rate relative to your goals so that you're taking the, the minimum amount of risk but also able to pass on the most amount of assets right and so the liquidity the liquidity strategy retains assets to meet near-term spending objectives. And therefore, you know, it should be used to supplement additional income during your working years. Um, it's It also acts as an emergency fund if you temporarily lose your job and any sources of income. Liquidity, it tends to be fairly small during your working years for those reasons. But as you approach retirement, liquidity plays a much bigger role to maintain one's lifestyle in excess of income from pensions, annuities, and social securities, which should be baked into how big you need to size your liquidity portfolio relative to the lifestyle that uh, you'd like to maintain. Ultimately, the size of liquidity strategy also depends on how aggressive the longevity and legacy strategies are that interplay across all of your wealth is important. We want We want to, as I talked about before, avoid sequencing risks during bear markets and therefore we want to maintain enough in liquidity that the longevity portfolio can recover without the liquidation for spending needs, right? This means that for more conservative longevity strategies, we recommend two to three years of spending and liquidity while for more aggressive investors, you know, we're recommending more like three or four years of spending in liquidity it also means Using market growth to rebalance and fill your liquidity strategy while the market is growing, so that you don't need to dip into your longevity portfolio if you get surprised with a market decline. And so during market declines, you have your liquidity strategy there. You're not you're not taking assets out of your longevity or legacy strategy because you've already filled up that liquidity strategy as you've rebalanced your uh, longevity and legacy strategies. It should be noted that the liquidity portfolio doesn't though just sit in. Cash, as I mentioned before. The goal is to match the timeline for cash flow needs. And as such, um, we recommend that assets be divided into three tiers in the liquidity portfolio that are tailored to the timing of those spending needs. The first tier is for imme- immediate spending needs, and maybe in, let's say, money market or, or cash accounts like saving funds. The second tier is for spending for the next two years and can be invested in you know, CDs to increase yield, while the third tier is for assets that you need for the next, let's say, three to five years. And they can be invested in things like a bond ladder that, in, that boosts return, but is aligned to the cash flow schedule that, that you anticipate that you're going to have. So moving to the longevity strategy, the goal is to hold a growth portfolio that you plan to use for your lifetime expenses. And that ultimately means as investors get older, this portfolio naturally gets spent down and sees assets transfer from the longevity portfolio to the liquidity strategy as you have cash flow needs. And depending on your risk tolerance and your time horizon, we typically recommend a well-diversified, moderately aggressive portfolio. And the reason for that is as you get closer to retirement, assets will begin to transfer from that longevity strategy to your liquidity strategy. And it will have a natural de-risking effect in combination between your longevity and your liquidity strategy, which will result in a more balanced allocation overall, which has further benefits in terms of mitigating sequencing risks. The last piece of the portfolio legacy strategy, as I mentioned before, represents an investor's surplus above what they need for their lifetime. So generally speaking, this allocation will start off very small during your working years and build up after the liquidity and longevity strategies are fully funded Uh, since these assets are for purposes beyond your lifetime with the potential to grow over decades day-to-day volatility is not an important factor and that ultimately means when you're thinking about asset allocation investors can focus on longer term illiquid strategies with higher growth potential like private equity private real estate or even hedge funds this investment pr- approach is actually similar to the average endowment, which holds an aggressive portfolio with a large allocation to alternatives. But an important difference is the legacy portfolio, as we touched on before, you know, provides investors with the ability to become much more tax efficient. Investors can focus on avoiding short-term capital gains. Th- they can defer realizing taxes, which means compounding on a larger base of wealth. And additionally, they can have tax diversification through asset location with the use of multiple structures like donor advised funds, trust, private foundations, and privately held businesses, which can help maximize the after-tax wealth, which you give to others.
0: Dan, I think you did a great job di- uh, explaining the, di- the differentiation between the 3L framework uh, from when you're working versus when you're retired. But to your point about legacy as well, we've had a few clients who are on the doorstep of retirement, but not quite there yet, but we've determined that their liquidity and longevity needs are already met. And really what they're doing is essentially they're working and saving for their legacy uh, portion of their assets, which I think is a pretty empowering uh, feeling knowing that they're taken care of, but everything they're doing beyond this in their career is really for the greater good, for the causes that they care about. So I think to your point, I mean, just having even just that that frame of mind for when you're working and versus when you're retired, I think is of utmost importance. And to kind of, you know, talking about some of these um, strategies in more detail, you and your team have recently come out with a great research piece that I thought was fantastic. It was the 2021 strategy guide that came out in January. And you talked extensively about how clients can use Wealthway Way, to mitigate taxes and gift to others. I know you kind of touched on that before in the past, but can you just give us an overview of this report and share with the audience maybe some of the advanced planning strategies that can be used within the Wealthway framework? There's a,
1: a number of strategies that, that one can use. But one of the one of the things that I would like to point out and highlight in that report is is once again thinking about how how much money that you need for your lifetime versus how much you can give to others. We actually in that report have a have a nice table which looks at you know basically what your spending rate is and what that translates to in terms of different time horizons in terms of how much wealth you need today in order to be fully funded for retirement. Right, and so if you have that amount of money, and you're, you know, based on a multiple of your spending, you then know exactly what you what you mentioned. You know that you can confidently put money in your legacy uh, portfolio because you're not going to need that for your lifetime, and you'll still be able to, with high probability, meet your spending needs. Um, but as it relates to to taxes, the other part of that report does focus on, on uh, you know, what what we're what we've been seeing evolve. In the political landscape, which is, which is, you know, there is the anticipation that the the, the Democrats will be pushing up a uh, a new tax bill to to raise taxes. You know, it's possible that Schumer Schumer and Pelosi will introduce a bill in July, though this would be fairly difficult right now with lawmakers focused on policies around COVID crisis, unemployment, and the economic recovery. But it's also unlikely that they would actually wait till next year to actually do a tax bill because it's an election year. Uh, there's too much risk in that. So, you know, in, in our uh, opinion, you know, uh, taxes, which we know are a key focus for the Democrats, are base cases that Congress will actually propose a bill after their August recess this year, and they will try to come to t- terms in the in the fourth quarter. So when it, when it comes to changing tax policy, timing is everything. And uh, actually it's, it requires a lot of negotiation. Looking back to 2017, it took the GOP um, about 11 months uh, to de- get the Tax Cut and Jobs Act passed through the same process the Democrats are trying to use, that reconciliation process, even though the GOP at that time had the majority in both changes, just like the Democrats do right now. While it's happened in the past, it's rare that personal income tax changes would be actually retroactive to the beginning of the year, uh, so we expect that it would go in effect next year. The current proposal is actually to set the maximum tax rate at 39.6%. But um, there are a few actions that we talk about in that report that you should consider. You know, First is actually evaluating how much wealth you need for your lifetime and considering actually accelerating your lifetime gifts into your legacy. And the reason for that is because Democrats have proposed lowering the lifetime gift and estate tax. From a current level of twenty three point four million per couple to just seven million dollars per couple, so you know that is very likely to be in their tax bill that they're going to lower the the amount of gift gift and estate tax exemptions that uh, that you can in terms of passing on assets uh, tax free to to any heirs. You know, Democrats have also actually proposed increasing the capital gains tax, which can be done retroactively to the beginning of the year. So for investors who have unrealized capital gains, there are two things that uh, you know, we suggest you explore with uh, your tax accountant. We don't give tax advice, but there are two, two strategies one could, uh, one could uh, explore. One is a counterintuitive strategy called upstream gifting, where you gift appreciated assets to your parents or your grandparents, And when they pass away, you actually inherit the securities and the funds may receive a step up in cost basis that effectively allows you to avoid paying capital gains on unrealized future capital gains. Many investors also may be inclined to take any capital gains that they have on their portfolio now at a potentially lower tax rate. However, we don't, typically recommend this approach um, and that's because by deferring capital gains investors are able to compound wealth on a larger base of assets the growth on the def- on the deferred taxes that you didn't pay that remains invested will often make up for the higher future tax rates especially for investors who have long time horizons and i, I can give a very quick example there which is you know if we assume that equity is a return our capital market assumption of seven percent and if taxes were raised another 10 points from 23% to 33%, an investor who has a large capital gain, let's say they had $10 million with $1 million cost basis, would actually have over a million additional after-tax dollars in 13 years if they chose to defer, realizing the gains now relative it, relative to actually if they realize them now, even though they're actually going to pay those higher higher taxes. So you know that all goes back to you know the importance of which we talked about before, which is you know I'll, I'll say it again, the uh, tax diversification through asset location, make sure that you're considering the different tools that you have in order to insulate yourself from changes to one part of the tax code or the other through those different structures.
0: Yeah, and we've also, with clients, Dan, have run some analysis for them to kind of show what the break-evens would be given the holding periods and a lot of these other factors. But it does become and it's sometimes a difficult exercise just given the unknown of what could happen. But I think to your point about uh, just with the writing on the wall that we're seeing with the uh, Democratic Congress and the fact that taxes are going to go up in some way, shape, or form is something that we have to be mindful of and and plan around, especially as we get more detail around that. But just, um and then lastly here, um, I know that in this report, you had talked about borrowing as well. And I think, understandably, a lot of our clients, Dan, have an aversion uh, to borrowing. It's part of the reason why they are uh, so well off is I think they try to pay down debt over the years and live within their means and uh, not take on is take on as little debt as possible so just talk about how borrowing can be utilized within the wealthway framework and how that can help a client's overall experience as well
1: yeah there is an aversion for a lot of people to use use borrowing to their advantage and you know it's completely understandable but it, it also comes borrowing comes with a very significant opportunity to enhance returns um and stay invested and that that's really you know, what we're focused on in that report as well is, is the fact that, you know, despite the fact that rates have risen a little bit in the last couple of months, we're still seeing historically low rates. And so the question the question becomes, should you be, you know, when you have a big spending need, whether it's paying your taxes or or buying a new house, whatever it may be, you know, do you believe that by liquidating your portfolio, that the money that you took out, it, to to pay that down, do you believe that the return on that money, if you kept it invested, would exceed the loan cost, right? And there obviously are risks uh, associated with uh, with you know at, during any given year and whether or not you're going to beat the loan. But you know it comes down to an evaluation of what do you think the long term return is on your portfolio relative to that loan cost, and you know whether or not you can stay invested, take a loan out, or even take a loan and invest it in your portfolio um, and gain a higher rate and the difference between the loan costs and the portfolio, the portfolio uh, growth is going to be accretive to your overall situation. We have high confidence in this environment, given the low loan costs and, and given, you know, the. The return expectations on a a typical, let's say, moderate or aggressive portfolio, you know, we believe that the probability that, that you outperform that loan is fairly, fairly significant, especially over, you know, three, four or five year time horizons.
0: Yeah, and I think that ties in perfectly to your point earlier, Dan, about how we just need to be mindful of the entire balance sheet that clients have, not only looking at the asset management side of it, but also the liability management and also just trying to evaluate what's the most effective way to lock in lower rates and to pay off debt or to borrow against assets that you have that might be appreciating at a higher rate. All those things are so important and it's what we do with each one of our clients. But I think that's an excellent point to end on. And Dan, I just wanted to uh, thank you again for your time and participation. I know that for our audience that's listening, if you have a question for Dan and his team, please feel free to let us know. and We'll be uh, sure to relay that question over to Dan, but just can't appreciate Dan the time today for the show and appreciate your insights and for you coming on today. It's really been my
1: pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope to be back again soon.
0: Yeah, we would love to have you again. And I'd also like to thank the audience as well for listening. We hope that you continue to stay safe and healthy and we certainly look forward to speaking in soon. Neither UBS Financial Services Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokered services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide them about the products and services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at ubs.com slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, member SIPC.